All right, get your Bibles out and uh, open it up to Genesis chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one uh, at your seat there. Genesis 18 is where we're going to be landing uh, today. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just kind of remind you or, or tell you about something new that's happening. On July the 1st, we're going to have what we call a night of vision. This is our annual meeting. We're, we're going to gather together as a church family. We're going to do some business things like approve the budget and install new leaders. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to just uh, seek God for what he has for us in the future. It's going to be a great time. I want to encourage all of you to be there. Uh, July the 1st uh, in the chapel, 5 o'clock. It's going to be an exciting time together. So mark your calendars to be a part of that, okay? Uh, all right, we are in our series called Family Trip. And we've been looking at, you know, how do we have the kind of family that God wants us to have? And we've been following Abraham and his family trip and uh, what God's been doing in his life. Today what I want to talk about is how do you handle it as a family when things don't go the way you want them to go, all right? Because sure enough, as long as, if you fog a mirror, then you are going to be in a situation where things are not going to go the way you want. You have this plan, you got this vision, you got this timeline, this is how you want things to roll out, and things don't roll out that way, how do you respond in that moment? And we're going to look at Abraham and how he responded. We're going to learn a, a principle today you may have not heard before, but it's a basic principle of the Christian life that we're going to talk about how to get through challenging seasons, all right? So let's look at it, uh, Genesis 18. Uh, while, you're, while you're turning there, let me kind of set up the stage. God has come to Abraham. Abraham speaks to God as a friend, uh, speaks to another friend face to face. And God comes to Abraham, and he sits down to have a talk with him. And God's going to tell him lots of different things, but one of the things God's going to talk to him about is a prospect of his wife Sarah, Abraham's wife Sarah, having a child. Okay, so we're going to pick up the story, Genesis 18, beginning of verse 9. Uh, so this is the word of God. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh, all right? I just think that's awkward the way that's worded, but it's kind of funny. All right, so what's going on here? What's happening in this story? God is promising Abraham that he's going to have a son. In a year from now, you're going to have a son. Now, this is not anything new. God's been promising this to Abraham for 25 years, I don't know if you've waited on a promise from God for 25 years or not, but that's what's happening here. God has been promising this over and over and over. In fact, let me just kind of recap for you. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham out of his homeland into a new land, and this is what he says in verse 7. He said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abraham was 75 years old at this point. 
God said, I'm going to give you an offspring. I'm going to give you this land, 75 years old. So Abraham's thinking, well, all right, that would be miraculous in and of itself, but okay, God. And then the clock starts ticking and no child, no child, no child. Then again, you get to Genesis 15, verse five, God tells Abraham, look toward the heaven and number all the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was 80, like in his mid-80s by this point. But still, uh, time goes by, and Sarah goes through several pregnancy tests, and it's still negative, and there's no child coming, no child coming. And finally, we get to Genesis 18, and God says, all right, I I think it's about to happen now. Just one more year, and it's going to happen. And Abraham, I'm sure, is thinking, are you kidding me? I am now 99 years old. In fact, it says here in verse 11, just look at it, verse 11. It says, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advancing years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I mean, they're making the case that they're old. I tell Liz when I, when I get out of bed and my back kind of is hurting and my knees are aching, and I tell them I'm suffering from a disease called OLD, Right? And some of you can relate to that, suffering from OLD. Well, they, they were major suffering from OLD. They were, oh, everybody say old. They were very, very old, all right? So what the, what the writer here is telling us, he's setting the stage to make this main point, that it was impossible for Sarah to have a child. I mean, long since, not, not probable, not even improbable, it was impossible. There was no way that Sarah could have a child. And so God's telling Abraham this, and of course Sarah's listening in the back of the tent. She's in the back of the tent. She's got her ear pressed up to the canvas like this, kind of eavesdropping in. You know, my wife's uh, mother was an excellent eavesdropper. And when I was dating Liz, I would call her up on the phone and I could hear the click of her mom picking up the other line to listen in. I'd say, hey mom, she click, you know, <laughs> back down. And so, but it didn't start with her mom. It went all the way back to Sarah. She was the first eavesdropper in the Bible. And so here she is, got her ear pressed over the canvas, trying to listen in on what's going on. And all of a sudden she hears this in a year, your wife Sarah's going to have a child. And she just, just burst out in laughter. I mean, it wasn't like disrespectful. It was just, Are you, have you seen this body, right? There's no way that this body is going to produce a child. I am, I am as good as dead. And yet God was going to do something miraculous. By the way, you can't have something miraculous unless it's impossible by natural design, right? That's what a miracle is. A miracle is something beyond our capacity to do. And God was going to do something miraculous with something that was impossible. Now listen to me. Some of you are facing an impossible situation. Some of you are facing, man, it's impossible. There's no way that child's going to come back home. There's no way this marriage is going to get fixed. There's no way that God's going to breathe love back into this uh, relationship that we have. There's no way that I'm going to find healing physically from this issue that I'm dealing with. There's no way, dot, 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 fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, you're saying, God, there's no way that this is going to happen. But listen, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Do you believe that? What is impossible with man is always possible with God. And the reason why I know that is because God is the God of the gap. He's the God of the gap. 
You say, well, what do you mean by that? Let me explain that. This is a principle. You may not have heard this way before, but it's very important to your spiritual growth. He is a God of the gap. If you're not a believer here today, you need to understand how God works in, in people's lives. And if you are a believer, you need to understand this principle. God is a God of the gap. Between when God makes a promise and when God brings it to fulfillment, there is always a gap. All right? Now, we're talking about Sarah having a child, so let's just use pregnancy as an example. Some uh, uh, women, they get pregnant, right? And so they're excited. They're, they're pregnant. They're excited. They're thrilled. They're running around screaming. They're so, they're so happy. Why? Because there's this promise of a child. And they're so excited to have a child, right? But between the promise of the child coming and actually the child being delivered, there's about nine months of nausea, right? And weird cravings. And, and emotional roller coasters and uncomfortableness and all kinds of stuff. In fact, it's going to get a lot harder before it ever gets better, before that child is delivered. But once the child is delivered, then we're joyous, right? We're excited because the child has come. The promise has been fulfilled. Well, that's exactly how God works. God will give us a promise, but then there will be a gap before God brings it to fulfillment. And this is how God operates all the time. You just look back in the Bible, you see this over and over and over. God gave a promise to Noah that he was going to bring a flood, but he promised that he would redeem him with an ark. But Noah had to build that ark for 75 years, preaching and praying with no cloud in the sky before God finally brought it to pass. Same thing happened with Joseph. Joseph had vision that he was going to be a king and a ruler, right? He had this wonderful vision. But before that was brought to pass 13 years later, he had to go through hard labor and imprisonment. Same thing with David. David was anointed king as a young boy, but it wasn't until he was 30 years old that he finally became the king. And in between, he had to face off giants and had hide in holes and caves and, and to run from a madman. All the way over, you see this over and over again. The Israelites were promised a promised land, a great vision of a land their own, but yet it would take 40 years of walking through the wilderness before they would ever realize that dream. Just think about the coming of the Messiah, 700 years. Let me say that again, 700 years before Christ was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be in his shoulders. 700 years they had to wait and wait and wait and look and look and pray and wait and pray until finally Christ came. And when Christ came, the Bible says in Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 6 that he came at just the right time. In Galatians 4, 4, it says, when the time had fully come, Christ came. Now listen, the gap wasn't a delay. The gap was a part of the plan. The gap's always part of the plan. See, God's not like forgetting about you and thinking, well, yeah, I think I made that promise. Let me go look at the ledger here. Did I, did I say something to them? No, no, that's not how God operates. The, the gap in between the promise and the fulfillment is always part of God's plan. And that's the way it was here with Abraham. Listen, right now you may be in the gap. God has spoken to you a, a, a vision, right? And, and you know God's spoken to you about it, but yet you don't see how it could ever really come to pass. Or God's put a ministry on your heart and you want to do this ministry, but you're like, man, God, the, the dollars don't add up and the, the circumstances don't add up. How could this ever happen? Or God's given you a promise about uh, being married or a promise about having a child or a promise about 
something like that, and you're like, I just don't see any way possible that that's going to happen. Listen, God, if God's made a promise, then you're in the gap, all right? And God's going to bring it to fulfillment. You say, well, why, why does God even give us a gap in the first place? Why doesn't God just make a promise and poof, it happened? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? I, I tell you, I'd like that. You know, Liz and I have walked through many gaps in our life. Many gaps. You know, we had, uh, we spent eight years trying to have children. And we'd go to doctors and wait and, and all that kind of thing. Wondering if that would ever happen until finally God made good on his promise. We were in uh, Oklahoma for many, many years. And God gave us a promise one day in our quiet time that he was going to move us back to to here, to, to Texas, but, but we waited about three years before that came to pass. There are always gaps in our life. You say, well, why does God do that? Why does God make us wait? Well, here's what I want you to understand. I think there's some lessons you learn in the gap you don't learn anywhere else. And if you've been in the gap, you know this to be true. So let me give you a couple of lessons that we've learned right out of Scripture that you learn in the gap. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Take, t- take these notes down so you can think about them during the week. Here's the first thing. We learn that God's in control and we're not. When we're in the gap, we learn that God's in control. Sometimes the gap is short. It's just a few months. Sometimes the gap is long. It may be years and decades. But what we do learn is that somewhere along the way, we have to say, God, I can't make this happen. Every time that Abraham tried to make it happen, it got messed up, right? He thought, well, maybe it'll be through Eleazar, my servant, that my, my prodigy will come or my, my lineage will come. And, and God said, nope, it's not going to be that. And then maybe it's with Hagar, right, my, my wife's servant, which was a really bad idea. Would you agree with that? Bad idea from the start. That just messed everything up too. Every time he tried to make it happen by his own control, it just went south. And what Abraham had to finally come to the place where he's 99 years old, there's no way this is going to happen, and he finally dropped his hands and said, God, you've made this promise. If you're going to do it, it's going to have to be you. I wonder if you've come to that place where you say, God, if this is going to happen, it's going to have to be you. Because I I, I can't manipulate my way into this. I can't Uh, I can't think my way into this. I can't uh, maneuver uh, relationships and kind of put things together and and be in control. Sometimes God's got to pry our fingers off of this thing and and just surrender our timeline and surrender our desires and surrender even the promise he's given us to him and say, God, only you can do it. See, the fact of the matter is you're not as in control as you think you are. We think, oh, man, well, I got this handle. I can, I can control this. But you type A people, you know exactly who you are. Uh, I'm, I suffer from this thing as well. Uh, we think we can control it, and we can't. But God is sovereign. It's a great place for an amen. God is sovereign. God's in control. God is ruling. God is reigning. God's on the throne, and he's got a plan for you, and it's going to work out in his timing and not yours. Abraham had to learn that lesson. He had to wait 25 years to hold that lesson. You know, when Liz and I were going through eight years of trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, just negative, 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 going to doctors and tests and all that kind of thing. We didn't know if it was ever going to happen. Finally getting pregnant with triplets, and and those triplets died prematurely. We went home to an empty house. And we thought, God, it's just not going to happen. 
We just give up. I, I remember just being empty. My God, I, it's not going to happen. But it was in that yieldedness that God said, I've got a plan. It's not your plan. It's my plan. And he brought to fulfillment what he promised. Have you released this thing to God? Have you released the timeline to God? Have you released the way it looks like to God? And say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. Second thing that we learn in the gap is that we learn to trust God's promises and walk by faith. We learn to trust God's promises and walk by faith. You see, the Christian life is all about a walk of faith. From beginning to end, we're saved by faith. We we live by faith, and one day we die. We die in faith that God's going to take us home to heaven. Three times in the Bible, it says the just shall live by faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now listen, God wants you to walk by faith. You say, well, Craig, what does that even mean? I mean, that sounds like Christianese. I mean, I don't even know what walking by faith even means. Does that mean I just hope for the best? No, no, no. That's not at all what it means. So let me just boil it down to you because this is very, very simple, but very important, very foundational. To walk by faith simply means to live in the confidence that what God has promised, God will fulfill. All right, that's, that's in essence what it means to walk by faith. To live in the confidence that what God has promised, that God will fulfill. That's what Abraham had to do. He had to finally make a decision that, hey, God promised a son. He promised it over and over. He confirmed it over and over. So now, even though I don't see how it could possibly happen, I am going to trust that God is going to bring about ultimately what he promised. I'm going to trust that. Listen, what has God promised you? Has God made you a promise? Has he confirmed it in his word? Now now listen to me, just because you want something doesn't mean God's promised it to you, right? There's a difference. I I want a lot of things that God hasn't promised me, right? But, But I'm saying, has God made a promise to you? Has he given you a scripture? Has he spoken truth in your life? Has it been confirmed by godly people in your life? You say, no, God has spoken a promise. He's given this to me. I know it in the word. It's been confirmed by other godly people. I know God's given you a promise. If he has, then you stand on that promise, even when you don't see how it's going to possibly happen. That's called walking by faith. That's what it is. To trust that what God has promised, God will fulfill. You know, when we were, uh, when we received that promise, we were going to come back to Texas. We didn't see how that was going to happen. I said, God, there, you know, at first I told Liz, I said, well, you better pack your bags because we're going. God gave us a promise. He said the same thing to her, same thing to me. In a short amount of time, we asked him to confirm it. He confirmed it. He said, all right, well, just be ready. A couple of months, we're going to be going. A couple of months came and went. Six months came and went. A year came and went. A year and a half came and went. Two years. And then something funky happened about year two. We started saying, did I have some bad pizza or something? Did I, just, did I just dream this thing up? Did God really say that? Did God really tell, give us that promise? Was that something we just dreamed? And then, we, then it turned a little darker. It was like, does God, how do I even know if God says anything anymore? And, and how, how do I know for sure I didn't make that? A, and, 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 and all this swirling in my head, did God really say? Did God really say? Let me ask you something, you Bible scholars. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Did God really say that? You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Satan asked Adam, uh, Adam and Eve, did God really say that? You couldn't have this. 
See, Satan is a master of putting doubt in your mind. I believe there are two great enemies that keep you from fulfilling God's promise for your life. Two great enemies. They're like, they're like, um, they're like thieves that hang out in the shadows and are ready to jump out and steal away the promise that God gives you. Here they are. You know them very well. The first one is fear, and the second one is discouragement. Fear will say, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You better not jump out and fade like that. Better not go on out there, man, because that's probably not going to happen. And so, man, you just better stay back where it's nice and comfortable and, and proven. This is where you need to be. Don't jump out. You don't know what will happen if you get out there like that. That's fear. And discouragement is, well, God hadn't come through yet. So I guess he's probably not going to come through. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't even start this. Oh, we better go back to where we used to be. Fear and discouragement. They are the ones that love to steal away God's promise and ultimately God's fulfillment. But here's what I want you to understand. When we face fear and discouragement, and we have so many times in these gap seasons of our life, we've learned a secret that causes fear and discouragement to run. By the way, did you know fear and discouragement are cowards? They are total cowards. And there's something that you can say and you can believe in your heart that will cause fear and discouragement to run like scalded dogs. All right? Here, here's what it is. You need to say this. God is with me. God is with me. Oh, yeah, I can't see how it's going to happen. I, don't, can't, I can't explain my circumstances, but what I do know is that God is with me, and he is in the gap. He's going to make everything work out the way he wants it to work out. That's what Joshua said. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen, folks, some of you need to hear that. God's with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. Just because things aren't on your timetable and look the way you think they should look doesn't mean that God is not faithful. God is faithful. And he will always do what he's committed to do and promised to do. I have a friend of mine that was going through her own gap season, and she wrote this to me this week. She said, when I was learning how to be a single mom, I felt God telling me that one day we would, he would restore our family. It seemed completely impossible. But he gave me a promise from Habakkuk 2.3, which says the vision is yet for the appointed time. It has hastened toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. In our case, the gap was 17 years. But God was faithful and fulfilled the promise he gave me. What I learned during that time was that God is who he says he is. I learned to trust his character. I learned that the Bible isn't just a book filled with pretty words, but it is rock solid and can be trusted no matter what. Hard, hard lessons, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's the God of the gap. The God of the gap is in control. The God of the gap is with you. And the God of the gap will fulfill his promise. That's what Paul wrote to the Philippians when he said, he who began a good work in you, is faithful to carry it to its completion. Let me give you one more thing that I learned in the gap, and here's this. I learned that the joy is worth the wait. The joy is worth the wait. In God's perfect timing and in God's perfect way, 
he brought to fulfillment the promise he gave to Sarah. In fact, just, just turn in your Bible, flip over. We were in chapter 18, flip over to, to chapter 21, all right, verse 1. Go ahead and flip on over there and take a look at it yourself. Chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And, and she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God gave him a child, and he named the child Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter. Laughter. And it's really a double meaning. It's kind of like when the child came out, I think Abraham probably looked at it and said, I'm going to name him Laughter because remember you laughed? Remember that? You laughed and now look. You did. You laughed. And I guess the joke was on all of us. Who would have thought? I mean, the whole community is laughing. Who would have thought they would have had a baby? That was my Jewish impression. Not very good. All right. Kind of sounded almost Italian. I'm not really sure what that was. I mean, everybody's laughing. I can't even believe what joy. But, but I think another meaning was that uh, there was finally going to be laughter in our home. You know, we've been so discouraged for so long, and now finally, we're going to have little feet running around the kitchen. And we're going to laugh again. God fulfilled his promise. God always fulfills his promise. You hear me? God always fulfills his promise. His way is always the best way. His timing is always the right timing. His wisdom is always spot on. And his promises never fail. If you're in the gap, trust God. Don't let fear and discouragement steal what God has promised to you. Trust him. Walk by faith. Relinquish control and acknowledge God's in control. Walk by faith and not by sight. Trusting in his promises that he will fulfill and he'll provide for you and he'll take care of you and he'll go before you. And know that the joy is worth the wait. Now, I, I don't want to close this out without saying one last thought here, so bear with me. This story is really just a small part of a bigger meta narrative. You see, this story of this old couple that couldn't have children, that God gave them a miraculous birth, was really a foreshadowing of something that would happen 2,000 years later to another miraculous birth. Except this time it wasn't an old woman, it was a young woman. And this time it wasn't a woman that was beyond bearing age, it was a, a girl that was a virgin. And an angel came to her and said, blessed are you, Mary, among women, for, for you are going to bear the Son of God. And she said, how is this possible? This is impossible. There's no way, I've never known a man. And the angel said to her, and it's, it's an echo of what God said to Sarah. Same thing. He said, nothing is impossible with God. He's the God of the gap. 
He's filling the ultimate gap. He's bringing the Messiah to come. And that's why Jesus came, to bring joy, to bring fulfillment. Listen, we need Jesus. And let me explain to you, if you're, if, you're not, if you're unsure of your spiritual condition, I want you to listen. This is why we need Jesus, because only in Jesus can we know who God is. God manifested himself. He revealed himself to us in Jesus. The only way that we can know that God is with us, that God makes promises, that God is faithful, is because of Jesus. The only way that we can be right with God because we have sinned against God, we have sinned in our lives, and the only way that we can be right with God is because of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he bore our sin on himself, that he died in your place at Calvary. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. It's all because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus can you walk in faith. Only because of Jesus can you have hope of heaven. Only because of Jesus. It's all in Jesus, you see. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. He is it. He's the ultimate fulfillment. He is the the king of glory. He is the hope of man. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And all of God's promises are wrapped up in Jesus. So do you know him? See, it's not enough just to go to church or believe God exists. Do you know Jesus? Have you received Christ? 